All right, church, well, it is a gift, truly, it's a gift to be able to now lead us in our time of going through the, the preached word, and as we begin our 2022 Advent sermon series, you have probably seen, as I've discussed before, it's entitled, The Glory of Christ, The Glory of Christ, where over the next several weeks, including that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, uh, we are setting a goal as a church And that goal is that we would grow and that we would actually delight in the glory of Christ this Advent season. And I want to do that for a couple of different reasons. One is in in the traditional ecclesial pattern of church life, Advent is actually considered, the first Sunday of Advent, which is today, is actually considered the start of the year. So in our normal calendar year, right, as, as a country, as a world, um, in, in most places, it starts January 1st, which is okay, but in the church liturgical calendar, actually the year begins today, the first Sunday of Advent. And I can't think of a better way then that how should we begin our liturgical year by focusing in on the glory of Christ? There's no better way to start. So it's one of the reasons. Second reason, and I think this is even more important, is as a church, and our name bears this conviction, is we want to be a Bible church. We want to be a people that are about what the Bible is about. And in a lot of ways, the Bible is about the drama of God's glory. It's tracing the drama of God revealing himself, revealing his glory, showing us who he is. And so we as a church want to glory in what is most glorious, and that is the glory of Christ. Number three, we know that during this time of year, the holiday, Christmas, Advent season, it seems like across the board, across cultures, Right? Everyone is wanting and looking for things that are beautiful during this time. That we want to see things that are beautiful. We want to think that there's something good that's happening in the world. Right? If you watch, I think, it's, and I'm, this is not a diss on Hallmark movies. I think it's why so many people love Hallmark movies during this time of year. Not because we don't know what's going to happen, but even though we know what's going to happen, we still long for it, don't we? That you want to see good happen. So there's this aesthetic beauty that seems to accompany this time of year. And I'm all about it, by the way. I am all about it. I love lights on houses, right? I love lights on trees, I love Christmas songs being played in stores. I love that eggnog is now an appropriate drink to have, okay? It's not true any other month of the year. But this month is my month. I love Christmas parties, right? I love ugly Christmas sweaters. I love all of it. I'm I'm pretty festive when it comes to the Advent year. But I think that's something that God has has given inside of my own heart and soul to long for something that's beautiful during this time of year. To have some kind of light come into a dark world. 
where we want to believe that this time of year, or at least this moment, is somehow different. That there's something to hope in, there's something to hope for. I think it's also why, for many, this time of year is often the most difficult. Maybe it's because you've lost a loved one this year. So it's your first time without them. Or maybe you're worried that this may be the last time you have with that person. Maybe things just aren't going well and you feel this pressure during this time of year to kind of put a smile on your face and kind of fake it to your family and to your friends that everything's all right because aren't we supposed to be happy and cheerful during this time? Well, if that is you, one is you have to know that you don't have to pretend to be anything that you're not. Right? God knows where you're at. God knows your heart. God knows your circumstances. And we as God's people want to be a place that reflects God's reality. Saying, come as you are. But there is hope. There is something beyond your circumstances that we want to focus in on. And that is something that's bigger than us. Right? That transcending reality, that transcending foundation that we all need, and that is what? The glory of God. The glory of God. The truth that we all need, especially during this time of year, right? where mainly right, throughout our world, throughout our culture, we're told to focus in on a lot of things right now, aren't we? A lot of things, a lot of things that you should buy, a lot of things that you should do. But should we? Maybe, maybe for the first time, this Advent season, and this is our goal as a church, instead of focusing on what we want, we're going to focus in on what we need. And that is going to be the glory of Christ for all of us. And I want to begin that journey today by taking you to the second book of the Bible. As a church, we've been walking through the book of Genesis, that very first book. But throughout this series, we're going to be looking throughout Scripture. But today, I want to start by honing in on a particular event that happens in the life of Moses. And that is going to be found in Exodus 33. Exodus 33 starting in verse 12. That's going to be on page 73. If you're using one of those black pew Bibles around the room, it'll, it'll be on the screen as well. And if you want to uh, put your finger on it, we're also going to be turning to the, the Gospel of John, John 17 as well. And today my goal is to allow us to be able to see and to focus in on our greatest need the greatest endeavor that we could give ourselves to during this Advent season. And it's by focusing in and looking back on not what's new. It may be new to us, but the glory of God is the glory of old. It's the glory that's been in eternity past. It's the glory that's in the present. And it's the glory that will push us forward into eternity future. But as I... uh, frankly need to, I want to stop and pray one more time. And I ask that as I pray for you, will you guys pray for me? And then we'll look at Exodus 33 together. Let's pray. Well, Father, I'm 
I'm thankful that we have your word that we can turn to right now. That God, that you are not a God who has left us in the dark. In fact, you are a God who describes yourselves as the light of the world. One in whom has revealed himself and one who has written down who you are through your word. And God, as we focus in on this passage, this moment in the life of Moses that you shared with him, that you had it recorded so that you could share this moment with us as well. So Father, give all of us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to welcome in the truths of who you are and that we would be able to respond to the glory of Christ in a new and fresh way this morning. God, I also pray for our kiddos and the teachers that are leading them. God, will you give those little hearts just eyes to, to see that as excited as they are for a lot of things that come during the season, that they'd be most excited about you, Jesus, that you came and that you are coming again. So, Lord, we love you and we need you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let me go ahead and just read Exodus 33, starting verse 12, and I'm just going to read through the end of the chapter. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. In order to find favor in your sight, consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see my face shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yes, thanks be to God indeed. Now, what we just read, church, in particular verse 18, is one of the most powerful prayers in all of the Old Testament. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, because we right, have just jumped into the middle of Exodus, I want to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background on what we are reading, in case you're not familiar with the book. Now, Moses... 
who was the leader of the nation of Israel, had, under the sovereign provision of God, he had actually led Israel out of captivity of Egypt and into the wilderness. This is where they find themselves right now. And they're on their way to the promised land. Okay? So Moses is leading the nation. Now Moses had this special relationship with God. He had this relationship where he would go up on this mountain, Mount Sinai to be exact, and he would commune with God. He would communicate, and God would communicate with him about his plans and about his, his goodness and about what worship looks like for the nation of Israel. And in the previous chapters, before Exodus 33, is when Moses, and you probably know this or have heard about this, is when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and God revealed himself and actually gave Moses what are known as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments about what worship looks like for the nation of Israel. Well, when Moses went down from that encounter, from that communion with God, and went back down to his people, do you remember what he found? He found the nation of Israel had actually started worshiping false idols. They'd actually taken the good gifts in which God had given Israel all this gold out of Egypt, and they had melted it down and made themselves a golden calf and started worshiping it. Now, we may think that's silly, but how often do we take the good gifts that God has given us and turn those into things that we actually worship instead of God himself? And so Moses, after finding this, right, he throws the tablets down and they break. And there's, there's all kinds of really interesting events that happen after that. I encourage you to read it. But what happens here at the beginning of chapter 33 is, is Moses feels like he needs to go back and talk with God. He needs to go back and communicate with God. He needs to intercede on behalf of his people to the holy and righteous God. And so he does that. He goes back and starts communicating with God. And that's what we are seeing here. And as Moses is interceding on behalf of his people, he's praying, Lord, we only want to go where you will go. We don't want to go anywhere that you're not going to be present. Because we want you, not just your stuff. We want you. And so they're having this conversation And it seemingly comes out of almost nowhere in verse 18 when Moses says, please, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. But before we actually look at how God answered that prayer request, let's talk about what glory is. What does glory mean? I've used it a lot of times. I've already used it in different circumstances, different ways. Well, Glory is a word that's used throughout Scripture. In Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word kavod, kavod. Or in Greek, it's the Greek word doxa. And it's one of the hardest words to actually put a definition to. Because it's used in such profound ways. Sometimes it's used as a verb. Sometimes it's used as an adjective. But most of the time, it's actually used as a noun. And I think that's what we're seeing Moses use it here. Now, in general, glory means weightiness or the praise or the fame of something. But here in Exodus 33, what I believe Moses is asking and saying, Lord, show me your glories. He's asking for 
a special manifestation of the presence of God. He wants to see God's magnificence. He wants to see his worth. He wants to see God's loveliness. He wants to see God's grandeur of all his perfections of who he is. See how it's hard to put a definition to? What Moses is asking for is, is really he wants to see the fullness of God. The fullness of God. And because he wants to see the fullness of God is because if we look back at verse 13, we see Moses asked to know God. It's part of this prayer is he wants to know God. And Moses knows that if he wants to know God, he must know God's glory. Because they're not two different things. If you know God's glory, you get to know God. You get to know God. It's an amazing prayer. As I said, it's one of the boldest prayers in all of the Bible, in my opinion. But before we actually look at how God gives kind of a special manifestation of his presence in verse 20, God does something kind of peculiar in verse 19. And and before he actually shows Moses some of his glory, he explains his glory a little bit. He actually gives four aspects that reflect his glory. And I want to I want to show you these in verse 19. Four aspects of God's glory. He starts by telling Moses that his goodness will pass by him, will pass before him. That an essential aspect of actually knowing the glory of God is knowing the goodness of God. Which how important is that for us this Advent season? Think about the season of life that Moses found himself surrounded by sin idolatry, surrounded by a nation that was chosen by God, consistently rebelling against that God who had saved them. Moses also had his own sins. If you read through Exodus, he was not innocent at all. But God answers this prayer request to see his glory by saying, well, first you have to know that my goodness will pass before you. You have to remember that I'm good. You have to know that I'm good. You have to know that if I am good, then everything I have told you when it comes to worship and reverence of me is good and perfect. That nothing that I do is not good. God does not ever act contrary to who he is. And how important is that when things aren't going well? At least to our own minds. We have to remember that God is good, don't we? We have to remember that even though when we can't see what he's doing or we can't understand why things are happening, we can at least remember and hold on to that he's good. He's good. Number two, we see God connect his glory to his name, to the proclamation of his name. 
where it says in verse 19 that God is wanting to declare himself, that God glorifies himself by declaring himself, by allowing us to know him. Listen, the glory of God is not this, this, this theological, like, ivory tower concept. It's ethereal that you just have to intellectually wrap your mind around. No, what we're seeing is God saying, no, 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 my glory, if you want to know my glory, you know my name. You know who I am. So if you want to know the glory of God, you know the name of God. And along with this, we actually see a promise from from God. Because notice, who does he say will proclaim the name of God? Himself. That he will proclaim He loves to reveal himself, church. Sometimes, right, we treat the study of God or or who God is like this giant eternal game of hide and seek. When God has revealed himself, he's not hiding from us, church. He has revealed himself in his word so that we would know him. So we would know him. We would know his name. And if you recall, in the opening chapter of the Gospel of Luke, right, when the angel Gabriel is telling the Virgin Mary, right, that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, that she's going to give birth to God himself, do you remember that the angel tells Mary that his name will be what? Jesus. She tells, he tells her his name will be Jesus because You need to know his name. His name is something that God wants us to know. He's not hiding himself. That's why later on when Paul would talk about in Philippians how God the Father has exalted what name above every name? The name of Jesus. So if we want to know the glory of God, we can look into the name of who? Of Jesus himself. He's given that for us. That's how we see the glory of God. It's why in John's gospel, he ties the birth of Christ to us now being able to see the glory of God. And Mike, I should have a, a slide for this. This is John 1.14. Look at this. Talking about the birth of Christ. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his what? His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the birth of Christ, the remembering of the coming of Jesus, is the remembering of the coming of the glory of God, which is the glory of Christ. Number three, we also see God tell Moses about his grace. That he is going to be gracious to whom he will be gracious to. That a part of knowing the glory of God is knowing that God is a God of grace. That he gives grace. And what is grace? Grace is giving you something that you don't deserve. Right? It's a gift. And God wants Moses, and I believe us, to say, if you want to know the glory of God, you have to know that God gives you something that you could never get on your own. That's how you know the glory of God. And number four, we see God tell Moses that along with his grace, there's also mercy. 
Mercy shows the glory of God. And what is mercy? Well, it's kind of, it's, it's much like grace, but it's not getting what we do deserve. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what we actually do deserve. And so, if we want to know the glory of God, we know that through when God doesn't give us something that we do deserve, that also reflects the glory of God. Now, as much as I want to expand on all four of those things, that's what we're going to spend the rest of our Advent series walking through. We're going to be walking through the goodness of God. We're going to be walking through the name of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. We're going to try to see all those things as we ponder and delight in the glory of Christ. But can we actually see those things? Because if you notice in verse 20, what does God tell Moses? What does he tell him? He said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So there's a way that we we can't see these things? Well, let's continue reading this thing, reading the narrative. Because what happens here? Well, as much as God tells Moses that you cannot see my face and live, and the reason behind that is because If we understand the glory of God to be the fullness of God here, the fullness of God, our Moses and our sinful and finite eyes cannot perceive everything of who God is in this moment. We can't. Much like looking directly into the sun, right? Our physical finite eyes cannot bear the grandeur and the power the son has. And so God is telling Moses, not, no, you, you can't do that right now. You can't do that right now and live. It would cost you everything. It, it costs you your life. But it's not as if God does not have a plan to show his glory, does he? Because if we keep reading what happens, he places Moses into this cleft of a rock, which is like a big crack. That makes like a small cave that you could, you know, put a person into. And God covers him, right, with his, with his spiritual hand in a way and passes by the rock and then removes his hand so Moses is able to look at the backside of God and it says that he was able to see God's glory. Just a small aspect of it, but it was God's glory nonetheless. But a quick couple of observations about this whole cleft in the rock why, why this? Like, why, why just a small picture of the glory of God? Well, think about a cleft in many ways. That you are placed into a spot that you have no control or power to change the circumstances of, right? It's literally between a rock and a hard place, two rocks that you can't do anything about. But yet God wanted to show Moses, even if... I have put you in a place that you think is, is hard and dark. And there's what good could happen from me being placed in such a dark spot? Well, it's even in those dark spots God can still show you his glory, can't he? And maybe that's how you feel this coming into this Advent season. To feel like you're in a dark spot. 
But you can be assured, based off what we see here in Scripture, that even when you only see a small sliver of God, you can still see God. doesn't mean that God is not in His fullness. It just means that He is revealing just a little bit. And you can trust that little bit that He's revealing to you. So let me ask you this, church. During this Advent season, do you want to pray that same prayer? Do you want to pray the prayer of, Lord, show me your glory? I hope you do. And I hope really this Advent series allows all of us, whether this is, right, you've been walking through Advent seasons your whole life, this one, this one would have this focused attention on the glory of Christ that's going to allow your face to shine in a way that reflects and points people that there's something different about you this Advent season. A second observation about Moses being in the cleft of the rock is do you believe, and I think this is a little bit of conjecture on my part, but I believe that even when Moses told, or God told Moses that, hey, you can't see my face and live, and he only got to see this backside of the glory of God, there was something in Moses, even by seeing the backside of God, he was longing for, oh, but I can't, is there any, it be a day, is there ever going to be a day where I can see the glory of God in the face of God? Is there ever going to be a day where I can perceive God for who he is? Look straight into his face. I believe so. So as important as this prayer of Moses is, I do want to take you to another prayer. As I mentioned in John 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, in the New Testament, John 17, we're going to be picking up in verse 24. We see another prayer. It's a prayer by Jesus. It's known as the high priestly prayer. Where we get to look in on this conversation between Jesus and God the Father. And let me read just a small aspect of this prayer. Where Jesus says, Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays that we would see the glory of Christ. Think about that for a moment. That Jesus, and by the way, this prayer, the high priestly prayer, is for you. It's about us. It's about people like you and I who have come after Jesus has right, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserved, went to the cross, rose from the grave. Jesus is praying that after that happens, the disciples that come later on, us, that we would see the glory of God, that we would see his glory. He's praying for us, church. Because Jesus knows that if we see the glory of himself, if we see his glory, we get God. We get the glory of God. We get to answer the prayer of Moses to see 
the glory of God. Because the glory of God in the face of God is answered in Jesus. That Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the person that then we can look to, even though we've, personally, we've never seen him. The scripture says, yet we love him. And we're longing to see him. That's why we celebrate the birth of Christ so much. And let me take you now to the book of 2 Corinthians. There'll be a, a slide up here where Paul rightly connects all of this together and he says, for God who said, light, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That it's in the face of Jesus Christ, church, that we get to behold the glory of God, the glory of Christ. So it's in Jesus then that we get to see the goodness of God. It's in Jesus that we get to see the name of God proclaimed. It's in Jesus that we get to see the grace of God given to us. It's in Jesus that we see the mercy of God poured out for us. And although, right, the next few weeks, we're not going to be able to exalt all of the glory of God. We can't do that in four weeks. I think what it does, though, is it will prime our hearts. It will anchor ourselves this Advent season to something far greater than just festivities. You know, or, or good circumstances, or fun times. The glory of Christ now gets to allow those good things that I enjoy, and it allows them to be a signpost to something far greater than themselves. Right? The tree gets to be a signpost, not to a tree, but to the tree in which Christ died on. Right? The lights on my house and throughout the sanctuary get to be a signpost to the light of the world. The presence under the tree get to be a signpost to the gift of which the Father gave to his world by sending his Son. See, all of what we celebrate, all of the things that are around us, God is going to use to say, these whisper my name. These are about me. And I pray that for every single one of us, whether you would consider yourself a Christian this morning or not, and you're welcome to be here for as, as a non-Christian as long as you want, but I want you to see the glory of Christ. I want you to not just see the Christ that is in the little baby bassinet manger thing that my kids love so much. Right? We are all about baby Jesus. But our worship does not end with baby Jesus. Our worship continues as that baby grew and lived and went to the cross for us. See, when I look at, the, at those, those little figurines, I look at those little hands and know that those hands would be pierced for me. I think about that scene, which it probably wasn't a silent night, right? Jesus was a real baby. But I think about all of the joy that came from that night, which is a small fraction of the joy in which all those people would behold one day 
in seeing a risen Christ. Seeing a Christ that's now on his throne currently ruling and reigning on our behalf. So if you're not a Christian, I want you to see Christ for who he is. Yes, let's remember the nativity scene, but let's also remember the cross. Let's also remember, right, the empty tomb. Let's remember the throne of God that's occupied right now by our King, by the glory of Christ. And let's join as we wait and we pray and we sing about the glory of Christ that we still long to see in fullness one day. That is going to be a wonderful day. But until then, we have a lot of hoping to do. Let's pray.